1: Heads of state, business leaders, and high-level intellectuals from around the world gathered in Davos, Switzerland this week for a special conference entitled, Holy Crap, We're Wrong About Everything. The conference featured some of the most successful, intelligent, and credentialed people on the planet discussing how the great reset, the great narrative, and the great relearning became the absolutely spectacular screw-up, the enormous humiliation, and the gigantic facepalm after it turned out they were all a bunch of brainless pinheads. Oxford University professor of climatology Dr. Sally Ass backwards kicked off the conference by stepping to the podium to make a speech, slipping on a damp spot so that her feet flew up in the air and everyone could see her underpants, then landing on her backside, sliding clear across the stage and flying through a side door into the lobby before she staggered back into the auditorium and stumbled to the podium to deliver her address. She then proceeded to explain why her brilliant 3,000-page plan to turn the entire Indian subcontinent into a wind farm in order to generate enough electricity to make a toy monkey play the cymbals would not actually change the climate, but would instead send us all back to prehistoric levels of primitivism and savagery. Dr. Ass-Backward said, quote, It turns out when you give people grants to create computer models predicting a climate emergency, that's what they do, even if there's no emergency at all if we'd given them grants to create predictions that gigantic lizards would fly out of our noses and devour the stars, I'd have developed a brilliant 3,000-page plan to eliminate nostrils like the over-educated buffoon I am, unquote. After that, in a much-anticipated address entitled Everything We Did About COVID Was Blithering Idiocy, the world's leading health expert, Dr. Isaac Mellonhead, told the gathered dignitaries, quote, We censored everyone who said COVID was made in a Chinese lab, and that turned out to be true, We silenced anyone who said masks don't work and they don't. When people protested our destructive and useless lockdowns, we called them racist for some reason. It turns out the best way to prevent misinformation about the pandemic would be for all of us credentialed turd brains to just shut the hell up, unquote. The original creator of The Great Reset, billionaire Hans von Slapstick, concluded the conference with a speech entitled, Oh, Why Did We Ever Listen to Us? Von Slapstick said, quote, The great political danger we face now is that people will remember how Donald Trump created an excellent economy that helped minorities, destroyed the ISIS caliphate in Syria, appointed Supreme Court justices who follow the law instead of our absurd faddish notions, brokered a genuine breakthrough in the Middle East peace talks, facilitated the creation of a vaccine and would have wisely kept the economy open during the pandemic if jerk offs like us hadn't talked him out of it then the voters might return that horrible, horrible man to public office instead of following wonderful, elegant elites like ourselves who just make a massive cock-up out of everything we touch, unquote. After the serious work of the conference was finished, the attendees gathered in the cultural hall for some lighthearted entertainment, watching an animated reconstruction of George Soros turning every city in America into a crime-ridden hellhole while Rebecca Black sang the conference theme song Just Because You Made a Billion Dollars doesn't mean you're not a stupid schmuck. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky dunky Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a zing It's a wonderful day, hoorah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hoorah, hooray, oh, hooray. Oh, hooray. All right. At last, at long last, the Clevelandless week is over and we're back laughing our way through the fall of the Republic. Today, we're going to talk about cancel culture. Then we're going to crumple it up in a big ball and shove it down the left's throat until they choke on it. So it's going to be fun. Good time to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcast. Leave us a five star review. Always really, really helpful. And we actually appreciate it. Well, some of us appreciate it. I, I don't really care, but uh, there are people here who need the, the work. Uh, also, you want to send your questions in to next week's mailbag. You got to subscribe to Daily Wire, go to the watch page and then find my podcast and hit that little uh, paper airplane symbol and ask me anything you want. All my answers guaranteed 100 percent correct and will change your life. You may ask, will they change my life for the better? Don't ask that. And if you could sp- subscribe also to my YouTube channel, my personal YouTube channel, Andrew Claven. Then we will send you all kinds of stuff that you can't get here or anywhere else. If you press that little bell, uh, there'll be a little ringing noise, and that will probably drive you crazy, maybe for years. Uh, also, if you leave a comment on YouTube, and the comment is sufficiently low and kind of nauseating and just just displays a bad personality, we'll read it here because it'll fit right in with the rest of the show. Today, Joshua Carmichael says, Glavin, with his new glasses, is preparing to grow a beard and assume his fire. Final form as Walter White. Uh, That's very funny. And uh, if you want meth, also just press that little... No, don't. (laughs) I'm just just kidding. So in California now, I think it costs something like $85 to to fill up a car, even if the car isn't empty. (laughs) But there's an incredible app that everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called GetUpside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code CLAVEN for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first Fill up cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code CLAVEN for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to three hundred bucks a year in cash back. And there's no catch. The cashback gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code CLAVEN to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. That's code CLAVEN. I know what you're thinking. You say, what? CLAVEN? How do you spell It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in CLAVEN. One of the best rules for becoming wise. Is also one of the hardest rules to follow. You won't be surprised to learn. It's simply this whenever you find an idea that explains everything, reject it. It's certainly wrong. Freudianism, Marxism, evolution, liberty, individualism, whatever your religion is, racism, all of them may contain some truth, but if they make you feel you understand life or anything else right down to the ground, they become a snare and a delusion. It's hard to reject. This is what they call totalism. Totalism is kind of the idea that you can explain everything with one particular idea. Uh, If you have an idea that gives you a complete understanding of life, that feeling of certainty it gives you is really deliciously reassuring. It makes you feel that, you know, you've got this. You've now got everything under control. But go ahead and reject it anyway, and I promise you, your experience of life will become more real and more beautiful. This is not nihilism, and it's certainly not relativism. It doesn't mean you can't have principles. It doesn't mean uh, you can't have your own ideas about things. It doesn't mean you can't tell the difference between right and wrong. It simply means that your principles, your ideas, and your morality should be suffused with humility. It's the opposite of pride. You want humility. Like Socrates, you should know that you know nothing. Like the prophet, you should walk humbly with your God. And in the immortal words of the crazy Oliver Cromwell, he said, I beseech you. (laughs) I always love this quote, even though Cromwell said it, he said, I beseech you in the bowels of Christ, think it possible you may be mistaken. Now, I have been reluctantly plugging my book. I have my, I think I have my, uh, yeah, I do my reader's copy here because it's so beautiful. I have to show it to you again, The Truth and Beauty. Uh, I want you please to go on and Pre-order it. In fact, if you go on the Zondervan website and search for it, you can get a little sample of it, so you can see if you will enjoy it, which I hope you will. Uh, and it's about the, the the gospels, but it's also about the romantic poets. And one of the heroes of the book is John Keats, and John Keats is a very tragic figure. And I tell the story his story. Uh, he died when he was only uh, twenty five years old, and in those twenty five years, he produced some of the greatest English poetry since Shakespeare. And Keats loved Shakespeare, and he said that Shakespeare possessed quality it Keats called negative capability. And here is how Keats described this quality. Negative capability is when a man is capable of being in uncertainties, mysteries, and doubts without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. You are willing to live feeling that the world is a little bit uncertain. Now, I have cultivated negative capability all of my life. I've always believed in it, but it was always a concept that was in my mind it was always something that I was looking for and seeking to uh, you know create in myself and enhance. In myself. And sometimes, you know, when people really like the show, the few people maybe who, uh, who really enjoy the show, sometimes will say to me, you know, you're a really underrated political commentator. And I have no way of knowing whether that's true or not. But if it is true, if I am underrated, it's because negative capability is the opposite of political thought. Political thought is always certain, self-sure. And that's why people are so angry in politics all the time because they can't understand how someone can't see what they see. But negative capability makes people wise. It makes artists better at what they do. It helps people see the world without reducing the world to a mere reflection of their personal opinions, because you, you're open to finding out your personal opinions might be mistaken. A great work of art is open to many interpretations, just like the world is open to many interpretations, because it's 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 the world is created by an infinite mind, and you and I don't have infinite minds. Life and art are not Subject to infinite interpretations. You can't just say anything about them because they're bound by facts. The fact that you were born a boy or a girl, that's a fact. Uh, the fact that high, there are high crime rates, that's a fact. The fact that Alexandria Occasional Cortex is an ignoramus, that's a fact. But while facts aren't <laughs> open to infinite interpretations, their meanings are open to more interpretations than anyone mine can know. And here's the, the trick many of those interpretations may be in conflict and yet both true. Niels Bohr, who was a Danish physicist, said, the opposite of a fact is falsehood, but the opposite of one profound truth may very well be another profound truth. He said it in Danish, so nobody knew what he was talking about. But still, that can be true, even though it seems contradictory. That That is why we're always moving toward the truth, but we never get to the truth, right? This is true of the human race. There's always something to learn. There's always a new way to look at things. There's always new information coming in. There are always new interpretations that enlighten us, even if they go against an interpretation that also had something that enlightened us. It's very complicated. And that is why, that is why, because we're always traveling toward the truth, but we never reach the truth. That is why we allow other people to speak freely, even when we hate every word they say. That's why we don't ban books, even if they're written by literally Hitler or by Jim Acosta. You know, I mean, even if somebody is evil or stupid, respectively, uh, as Hitler and Acosta, maybe even they may hit upon certain truths that are worth considering, or they may state certain falsehoods that are worth refuting because they will make your own understanding deeper and, and broader. Uh, and maybe just knowing them, just understanding that people like uh, Acosta exist They're part of creation, so knowing them makes you wiser. It makes you wiser about the world. In a culture dedicated to truth, justice, and the American way, more voices are always better than fewer voices because we should always be uncertain about what we believe. And this brings me to cancel culture, which is what I'm going to talk about today. So everyone wants to be where the elite meat to eat, but I want to be where the elite meat to eat meat, and I want to be where they eat to eat American meat. You know, a lot of—85% uh, of the grass-fed beef that's in stores and online is imported. Do not pay a premium for low-quality foreign meat. Good Rancher sells 100% American meat and delivers it to your door for a great price. So your home can be the place where the elite meat to eat meat. Good Ranchers only sell 100% American meat sourced from local American farms. Their beef is prime and upper choice, the highest quality possible. They've got ribeyes, T-bones, New York strips, and more. They're pre-trimmed and pre-marinated. Better-than-organic chicken breasts are absolutely delicious and so easy to prepare. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com slash Clavin today to solve your meat problem once and for all. Get the transparency, quality, and cuts you've been craving Order now with code CLAVEN to get 30 bucks off your box. Now is the time to support American farms and ranches. They're hurting. You're hungry. Solve both those problems with a box of American meat delivered. Whoever buys the meat in your house needs to go to goodranchers.com slash today, And they need to know how to spell clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N.
0: There are no
1: So let's start with Whoopi Goldberg. I always love the fact that on The View there's Whoopi and there's Joy, because as we all know, there's no joy without Whoopi. There's no Whoopi without Joy. Uh, You know, my, my feeling about The View, I once got caught in the gym on an elliptical where there was a shared television set. And the rule in this particular gym was whoever came in first uh, got to turn on the show they wanted, and some lady had turned on The View. And so I was stuck on the elliptical for about a half an hour watching this thing. Uh, And I think that's pretty much what hell is going to be like. I think that kind of—I was scared straight. I then became a much better person trying to avoid that fate for all eternity. However, some people apparently watch it, and this is uh, Whoopi Goldberg said something incredibly ignorant— uh, about the Holocaust on The View. There's cut five.
2: The Holocaust isn't about race. No. No. It's well, not about race. A city. It's, well, no, it's city about a different, but, different race. But it's, it's not about race. It's not about well, race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about. But it's about white supremacy. It's well, about but it's after not Jews it's not about ideal race. And it's, and it's and but these are two Romans. white groups of people. Well, how do have we have to black but people see them as white? And they, but but have you're, to missing, the you're yeah. missing the point. You're yeah. missing the point. The minute you turn it into race, it goes down this alley. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. It's a problem. It doesn't matter if you're black or white cuz black, white, Jews, uh it's ha- everybody. Eats each
1: other. the idea I mean it's an incredibly ignorant thing to say, but of course if you didn't realize the people on the view were ignorant you're probably not smart enough to own a TV someone should come along you know come away we 're going to take that away from you <laughs> but, but what what's really interesting about it is her refusal to, agno- to acknowledge that race people's races are not necessarily expressed in the color of their skin. And this idea that if somebody is white, he is somehow part of one single race, which is just just ridiculous. Uh, she later apologized. This is cut six. I said
2: something that I feel a responsibility for not leaving unexamined because my words upset so many people, which was never my intention. I said that the Holocaust wasn't about race. And it was instead about man's inhumanity to man. But it is indeed about race, because Hitler and the Nazis considered Jews to be an inferior race. Now, words matter, and mine are no exception. I regret my comments, as I said, and I stand corrected. I also stand with the Jewish people, as they know, and y'all know, because I've always done that.
1: Now, she was then suspended for two weeks. There were some rumors that she was angry and thinking of quitting, but I don't know if that's true. Uh, And a lot of conservatives are angry about the double standard because our own uh, Gina Carano was fired from The Mandalorian by Disney. Uh, Ostensibly, she was fired for saying something about the Holocaust that was actually likely true. She said the Jews were dehumanized before they were attacked. That, In other words, the populace had to be turned against them before the government could act to exterminate them. Uh, And that was true. And what she said was she made the comparison uh, with people being demonized, I think, for not getting the vaccine, which is obviously comparing uh, great things to small. And it's, uh, you know, it, it may not be the, the most apt comparison, but she was not really fired for that. She was fired for being conservative. She was fired for not being woke. She was fired for other things that she has said. And they just used this because they knew that any time you start screaming about the Holocaust, a lot of people go blind. They just so upset about it uh, that they basically don't even think through what was being said. So a lot of people are saying that it was unfair uh, for her to be suspended when Whoopi Goldberg, for Whoopi Goldberg to be suspended when Gina Carano was fired. But, but I don't think, I obviously don't think Gina Carano should have been fired. I think that was absurd. And I don't think Whoopi Goldberg should have been suspended. And I'm going to talk about that more. But first I want to talk about what Whoopi Goldberg said, because I think it actually does is revelatory about, uh, about the left and about the philosophy, this philosophy that has permeated our culture. And it's such a sick philosophy. It's such an awful philosophy that I can only hope that it's going to go away soon. There is one other big difference between uh, Whoopi and Gina, by the way, if uh, Whoopi Goldberg does get fired, she's not coming to work here. So it sucks to be her. Uh, So let's deal with what Whoopi said, because it's really important. uh, The limiting race to skin color, uh, this arises from the, le- the racism of the left. Leftism has become racism, and the left has used racism to promote its failed ideas, and it's singled out our fraught history with, with black people. And the reason it does that is because Marx used class to separate people and to turn them against each other and to, and to to ho- in the hopes—and, and, you know, I don't mean to blame Marx specifically. Marxists—Marx um, once said he didn't know what he was, but he wasn't a marxist Uh Marxists use class to turn people against each other. And in America, class was so much more fluid than it was in Europe that class doesn't really work because people in lower classes in America are frequently thinking, hey, you know, if I pull off this idea, you know, I'll get into the upper classes. So they don't have the same kind of hostility. Um, So they used race and they could use race because of our fraught history with slavery and Jim Crow and, and, and black people, which was not all of America, but it was a lot of American who did exist in law and it was something that the state promoted and it was genuinely shameful and unfair. So because their ideas keep failing, they have to keep hitting the race now. The, yeah, the race nail. And they've become the racist hammer. That's what's happened now. Leftism is racism. It's screaming about whiteness, uh, which has come to mean anything they dislike because they have nothing else to defend their ideas with. Their ideas are failing. And so they use race all the time. And they have become racist because they have to explain their failures. And so now they've, they have to come up with a scapegoat. And it's now white people. Someone once said in Germany, if you're a Jew, they hate you. But in Poland, if they hate you, you're a Jew. That's the way the left has become Poland for white people. If they hate you, you're a white person because they now define white as anything they don't like now the idea of systemic racism which is now what they say you cannot be a racist yourself but you're participating in a racist system is based on a hatred of the west the idea that because america america is a british european founded culture all our ideas all of our founding everything about us comes from britain essentially and also from europe it's our role in history in my opinion is to universalize British and European culture. That's all the people who are coming in. A lot of people say, ah, we don't want those foreigners coming in. Yeah, bring them in. Let them see that British and European culture is the best culture. It's the same way the Romans universalized Greek culture and universalized ultimately Jewish culture through Christianity. They think it's a bad thing. People have attacked me for this. It even caused a riot at one place where I went speaking. Went to speak People have attacked me for saying that European culture was the best culture humanity has ever produced because they are racist because all they see about the Europeans is they were white right they've got this idea now stuck in their head that that's the important thing about them and I always say well really the best idea wins if if white people discovered fire would black people live in the dark i mean it's ridiculous it is a ridiculous way to judge things you judge people on the content of their character of course but you judge a culture on its best productions on its ideas so, to, basically, to this idea of racism has now become essentially a hatred, a hatred of American society and of the West. And, which means they're hating the best ideas. They're hating the ideas that triumph. They're hating the ideas that gave us science, that gave us uh, women's equality, that gave us the idea of equality at all, the idea of individualism, all the things. Those don't come from African culture. They don't come from Chinese culture. They come from European culture by way of Greece and Rome. And so these are the, you start to hate. When you're a racist, you start to hate the things that give you everything you have, that that, you know, actually make the world wonderful for you. You start to hate them because they come from white people and they have to make up stories about, oh, it was really a black person who invented whatever uh, they want to say a black person invented. No, no, it wasn't. If you stopped, if you really hate white people, my suggestion is stop using anything invented by a white male for an hour. See how your life goes, all right? Valentine's Day is on the way, and if you want to give a truly meaningful Valentine gift, try PaintYourLife.com. Get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price, or you can combine photos of people or places you love into one painting. You can choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. I did it. It's really easy. It's lots of fun, and the results are really excellent. It's a user-friendly platform, makes it easy to order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. You can receive your portrait in as little as two weeks. And any picture yourself, your children, special place, a cherished pet, anything you want, makes a perfect birthday, anniversary, wedding, or Valentine's gift, meaningful, personal, and it can be cherished forever. At PaintYourLife.com there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed, and right now, as a limited-time offer, you can get 20% off your painting, 20% off, and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word Andrew to 64,000. That's Andrew to 64,000. Text Andrew to 64,000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Text Andrew to 64,000. Now, beyond the sheer ignorant racist stupidity of reducing all race questions to questions of skin color, when there are all kinds of different people in the world and all mixtures of the world and not all. uh, And remember, Africans, for instance, Africa is a continent. There are different races of black people in Africa. Now let's talk about the Jews. Because this is really important. Jews are different from everybody else, okay? And I'll show you what I mean. Throughout the Middle Ages, the Jews were persecuted for their religion. They were considered the infidels, right? And I've said this before that even when, that, you know, when they went off on the Crusades to take Jerusalem back from the infidel Muslims, they said, well, wait a minute, before we go kill the infidel Muslims, let's go kill the Jews who are infidels living in our own countries. And frequently, the Crusades would start out with a good old-fashioned pogrom before they set out for Outremer or Outremer, uh, where they would fight the Muslims. But even when Jews converted, even when Jews converted, they still were suspect because often they converted under coercion and sometimes by at the tip of a sword. So why trust their conversion? And so there was some kind of race hatred in there. But basically, basically, uh, the Jews were hated for their religion in the Middle Ages. If you read The Merchant of Venice, where which has the evil Jew Shylock in it, he's despised because he doesn't have the Christian quality of mercy, right? His daughter also Jewish, but becomes a Christian, and she's one of the heroes of the play. And one of the characters in the play says to Shylock about his daughter, he says, there's more difference between your blood and her blood than there is between red wine and white wine. So it's not the blood, he's saying, it's actually the content of her character and her religion, basically. And Shylock, basically the play, people always try to sell you on the idea that uh, The Merchant of Venice is not an anti-Jewish play. It's not an anti-Jewish. It's not a racist play, but it is an anti-Jewish play. It's a play that says Christianity is better than Judaism. Now, religions are ideas. There's nothing wrong with arguing with religion. It's killing people for religion. I I disagree with Islam. Islam disagrees with me. That's fine. We can have a beer together and discuss it or discuss something entirely different if we don't want to discuss that. It's only when you start killing people that all that goes wrong. However, however, the hatred of the Jews became a central fact of European Christian culture, right? John Paul, the Pope, apologized for it, uh, and he's a saint, so he must know what he's talking about. But the everywhere, the Jews were seen as the evildoers. They were I- at Easter plays. They would have a, an Easter play showing Christ's crucifixion. There was always a character who was the evil Jew who would come in and you know, kill, kill Jesus. This was because of a theology that's called replacement theology. It's the idea that Jews were God's chosen people, but because they rejected Christ, because they killed Christ, this is the idea, they lost their chosen status, and their chosen status went to who? Whoever's Talking. (laughs) Who's ever hating the Jews? It went to the Christians. Now, the Christians are the chosen people, and the Jews, God just kind of forgot about that promise he made to the Jews. He's not going to do that anymore. Now, I've talked before, and at length, and you can read my memoir, uh, The Great Good Thing, which has an entire chapter about this. I've talked about why this is theological nonsense. Uh, It's an attempt to blame Jews for universal universal sinfulness and for the universal act of killing Christ. It's when you think of the killing of Christ as something that humans did to God— the humans do to truth, and they do it all the time. They, do it, they don't do, just do it to Jesus. They do it whenever uh, that, anything approaching that level of truth appears. Then you understand why they had to become anti-Semitic. They had to sort of invent this idea. It wasn't us who killed Christ. It was those, those Jews. Those Jews. But the Jews were also the people who brought Christ into the world, whose history culminated in Jesus Christ's His history up to that point, I guess I'll say, culminated in Jesus Christ. And basically, what God did was he used the Jews to introduce himself back into the world. And then he universalized Jewish religion. And only human beings, only human beings could take that gift, that gift of the Jews, and turn it into Jew hatred. Only, only, only human, you got to really be twisted by original sin. Where you say, thank you, God, for becoming universal. And boy, now I hate the Jews who made you universal in the, uh, in the first place. Jews are special If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in the theology I'm talking about, Jews are special in Western culture because the God we worship is the Jewish God. The God that Jesus incarnates is the Jewish God. And guess what? If you are an atheist and you are anything like a Westerner, the God you don't believe in Is the Jewish God. The God you are rejecting is the Jewish God. It's a wonderful, if you've never read the novel Catch 22, it's a wonderful novel and it's hilarious. At one point, a woman is saying she's an atheist and somebody insults God and says how awful God is and she starts to cry and he says, Why are you crying? You're an atheist. And the woman says, Yes, but the God I don't believe in is a good God, a just God, a merciful God. He's not the mean, (laughs) stupid God you make him out to be. In other words, she doesn't believe in the God of the Jews. There's no way of getting around this. There's no way of getting around the fact that we are a country founded on Jewish ideas of a Jewish God. Love him, hate him, believe in him or not, he is your God. And that is why I always say, if you hate the Jews, if you're an anti-Semite, you hate God. You hate your God. And if you hate your God, it's probably because you're not so happy about yourself. Now, just as the good of Christ, the forgiveness and the freedom and the equality and the respect for women, all the things I was talking about before, this, as it permeates our values. So this historical error of Christianity was so universal in Europe, this replacement theology, it doesn't just go away. It doesn't disappear. It shaped a lot of what we were. were. And when Hitler sought to make the Aryan race the master race, he wasn't a Christian. He, he, they say he was a pagan. I don't know what he was exactly. Uh, he was a demon, right? When Hitler, But when Hitler did this, he was in some ways... In, secularizing this Christian idea. He was saying, he was doing the exact same thing the Christians had done. He was saying, making the Jews a scapegoat because he was saying the Aryan race, the wonderful German race, who were tall and blonde, not like me, not like me, Hitler, but like, you know, like all the other Germans, they're tall and blonde and handsome and perfect and beautiful. We're the chosen people, and therefore the Jews have to be destroyed. And he was—he it was an innovation in a way. He stopped persecuting them for their religion, and he started persecuting them for their race. And they had these incredibly complicated laws called the Nuremberg Laws. I mean, about what you were—if you had one uh, Jewish grandparent, uh, you were mixed race. But if you had more, you were Jew. And you know, but the point is—the point is—you could be a Christian like me and they would kill you, right? And they would kill you. That's racism. That's Whoopi's ignorance, all right? That is, so, so she apologized for it. It's fine with me. I believe in apologies. I believe in bloody people off the hook. But what we, she was saying was ignorant. But it's more than that, right? This is how the left got to this place, because they universalized the Holocaust. And the Holocaust is not man's inhumanity to man. It is not racism. It's not hatred. It is hating the Jews. It is an attack on the God of the West. That is what Hitler was. Why the reason Hitler is such a central figure in Western history is he destroyed the culture of Europe, which was built on the culture of Christ. And he was as close as you're going to get to an antichrist until the real thing comes along. When you universalize, when you universalize the Holocaust, when you say it was about hate, it was about man's inhumanity and man, you are erasing, you are erasing its central motivation, Hitler's central motivation was a war against the Jews. And you listen now, the Anti-Defamation League has now redefined racism. It's really what we need is words to be redefined because we don't want them to have the meaning that they have. And they now say re- racism is the marginalization and or oppression of people of color based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people. So it's what we want it to be. So this is the way this get, you get there, right? Hitler's war on the, on the Jews wasn't a war on the Jews. It was universal hatred. So anyone who hates... Is literally Hitler. Is literally Hitler, right? Any because he was just hateful. He wasn't a Jew hater. He was just hateful. Man's in humanity man. Anyone who hates is universally is is literally Hitler. And anyone who disagrees with me is hateful because I'm a black person, right? Or I'm whatever it is, whatever I'm a woman, or I'm a gay person, whatever it is, he's literally Hitler because I'm a minority. Therefore, he's instantiating the hatred that was Hitler. And therefore, I am the Jews. The Jews only used to be the Jews. We are back, right back with uh, replacement theology. The Jews used to be the Jews, but now the blacks are the Jews. Now the gays are the Jews. Now women are the Jews. I am the chosen people. They used to be the chosen people. So everyone I dislike is literally Hitler, except for literally Hitler. And every minority is the Jews, except literally the Jews. Good work. Whoopi Goldberg. Goldberg. So I don't know about you, but I'm getting ready to start traveling again. I've been traveling a lot, but only in like selected places. I want to get going to start getting on vacation, disappear, vanish completely uh, until the police find me. Since 1998, Priceline has been the best way for travelers to book the trip they want at the price they can afford. Priceline saves consumers more than $1 billion every year so that their customers never have to miss the moments that matter. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on rental cars and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More walks on the beach, more talking to strangers, more fun in the sun. And depending who you travel with, still less time with the in-laws. There are a few things that feel as good as knowing you save money at Priceline. Every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the best deals that will help you get more out of your trip. All right, that's Whoopi Goldberg. Now let's deal with Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, obviously very, very popular uh, podcaster. He's under attack. What he did was he interviewed a doctor who didn't agree that the vaccines were necessarily the best thing. There's a guy named Robert Malone. Uh, Malone, he says he was, a, he claims that he invented the kind of mRNA uh, vaccines that we've got. But he certainly was there in the beginning, did s- substantial work on in the field in the beginning. Uh, and he feels that the vaccines have been understudied, undertested. He feels they may be dangerous. He th- doesn't think that uh, necessarily everybody should take them. Uh, so Rogan has them on and Rogan has a lot of people on and he talks to them. Sometimes he has k- kooks on and he has different things. But this apparently got under the skin of all these uh, superannuated rockers like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and they all started telling Spotify that if they didn't take Joe Rogan off the air, they we are going to have to take their music off and at first Spotify uh, told Neil Young he could pound sand he could take his music off I, I love the fact by the way this just proves I, this is a little bit of a tangent but it just proves my theory that rock music sucks it's four chords the lyrics are for idiots and all these guys who are like rage against the machine oh we're rocking in the free world you know they should start a new band called Obey you know, their new, song, their new song could be like you know, never disagree with government experts. They could play it like on harpsichord, bing, 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 you know. So it was always, always a kind of music for idiots. So now everybody is they're doing this thing that they do. They mob you, they mob you, they mob you. They will not stop. They won't take no for an answer. He I mean, must. Joe Rogan must be censored. And here is uh, Rogan's response.
3: The problem I have with the term misinformation, especially today, is that many of the things that we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as fact. Like, for instance, eight months ago, if you said, if you get vaccinated, you can still catch COVID and you can still spread COVID, you would be removed from social media. They would, they would ban you from certain platforms. Now, that's accepted as fact. If you said, I don't think cloth masks work you would be banned from social media. Now, that's openly and repeatedly stated on CNN. If you said, I think it's possible that COVID-19 came from a lab, you'd be banned from many social media platforms. Now, that's on the cover of Newsweek.
1: (laughs) absolutely true so what is it all about rogan agreed to have some labeling and spotify said they're going to label and a lot of right-wingers we're going to this is what we're going to talk about eventually about the whole idea of cancel culture and whether there should be any kind of cancel culture or whether the whole term is wrong or you know where are we supposed to stand as freedom-loving conservatives where should we stand on cancel culture uh you know a lot of people said well rogan shouldn't you shouldn't give anything. You shouldn't, you know, give an inch. Uh, But, I, you know, I'm not against um, labeling that says you can get more information here or if you want to get the government's take on it, you can go here. You know, the more information, the merrier. It doesn't bother me. I thought that was kind of a grown up thing for Rogan to do. That doesn't bother me i i have to tell you that i don't have doctors on the show discussing covid for the simple reason is i can't judge whether what they're saying is true or not so if a guy comes on and says oh the vaccine will make your penis fall off I, I have no way of judging whether that's true and his voice becomes in some ways my voice and i don't want that to happen i would have a panel on and let doctors disagree and so you could see who was right and who was wrong but you know i, I wouldn't do what what rogan did but obviously his right to do it is absolute, and there's no reason why Rogan shouldn't talk to anybody he wants. And what he says is, I'm just a guy who talks to people. So why why should people go after Rogan? Well, I think the answer is obvious. It's not because Malone, the doctor he talked to, is wrong. It's because the elites, the left, have gotten everything wrong. I mean, my favorite reaction to this was, was Brian Stelter's. Brian, here's Brian Stelter's reaction to Joe Rogan.
0: You think about major newsrooms like CNN that have health departments and desks and operations that work hard on verifying information on COVID-19. And then you have talk show stars like Joe Rogan who just wing it, who make it up as they go along. And because figures like Rogan are trusted by people that don't trust real newsrooms, we have a tension, a problem that's much bigger than Spotify, much bigger than any single platform, Kate. But that's what is the heart of this right now.
1: Love it. Because, you know, at CNN, they've got health departments and they've got newsrooms and they've got this and everybody is screwing everybody else. They're all having sex. They've got Jeff Zucker, the head of the company, just quit ostensibly, you know, because he was having an affair with another woman there, another executive uh, at CNN. But obviously it was also must have had to do something with the fact that she and he were coaching Andrew Cuomo on what he was supposed to be saying in his COVID Um, You know, reports that he was giving the CNN was saying, aren't these brilliant? These are so brilliant. (laughs) And his mistress, you know, the the idea is they've only been having an affair recently. And everybody's CNN is saying, yeah, they've been having an affair for 20 years. And the reason, of course, is because they were married before this. Now they're both divorced. Cuomo is harassing, is accused of harassing people. Don Lemon is being sued for harassing somebody. They've got a producer who's chasing seven-year-olds around the room. (laughs) This this is CNN. And meanwhile, while they're screwing everything that moves, they've gotten everything wrong. Russian collusion was nonsense. Hunter Biden's laptop was serious. Oh, that that was Russian disinformation. That was, you know, why do we trust Joe Rogan? It's not that we trust Joe Rogan. We trust him not to lie. We trust him to look for the truth, to see what he's going to say. He said, I talk to people I get things wrong. I try to correct them. You know, that's different than CNN, where they're selling you a lie all the time. And the thing is, our leaders, for lack of a better term, our leaders have been wrong about everything. They're wrong about racism. They're wrong about crime. They're wrong about climate change. They're wrong about COVID. It's all wrong. Here's this John Hopkins study, which nobody is covering except for Fox News, right? Lockdowns in the U.S. and Europe had little or no impact in reducing deaths from COVID-19. The lockdowns during the early phase of the pandemic in 2020 reduced COVID-19 mortality by about 0.2 percent. That's Not nothing. That's nothing. That's statistically zero, really. And he says we find this report says we find no evidence that lockdowns, school closures, border closures and limiting gatherings have had a noticeable effect on covid-19 mortality. But they said it did have devastating effects on the economy and contribute to numerous social ills. They have contribute. Lockdowns have contributed to reducing economic activity, raising unemployment, reducing schooling, causing political unrest, contributing to domestic violence and undermining liberal democracy, says John Hopkins report. So that means that everything the government does, has done, has been a mistake, except for Donald Trump's Operation Warp Speed, which did help develop a vaccine. And I believe the numbers so far show the vaccine has been a big help. It has reduced mortality in people. It hasn't reduced necessarily the spread, but it has reduced mortality. So aside from that, everything they did was wrong. And if you will remember... Trump kept saying, I think we should reopen the government. I think we should reopen the country. We can't lock down the country. And people were screaming. CNN, Brian Stelter, all those clowns took time off from screwing each other to scream at Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, unfortunately, and this is his fault, he gave in to it. We know, we know they know they're wrong. We know they know they're wrong because Gavin Newsom and uh, Eric Garcetti, the mayor of uh, L.A., uh, Gavin Newsom, the the governor of California, they're walking around at the bowl games at the football games without masks on. And this is what Newsom says when he's asked about this, uh nine. I was very judicious yesterday, uh, very judicious. And you'll see the photo
0: that I did take um, where Magic was kind enough, generous enough to ask me for a photograph. And in my left hand's the mask and I took a photo. The uh, rest of the time I wore it, uh, as we all should, uh, not
1: when I had a glass of water or thing. And I encourage everybody else to do so. And uh, that's it. What an arrogant liar. What an arrogant liar. He's an arrogant liar because he knows it doesn't matter. It has has had no effect. The masks have had no effect on the spread, maybe in a room in a controlled experiment they do. But if you're taking it off, it doesn't matter. He's holding it in his hand because that keeps it that keeps the breath from coming. The the rays from coming out of your fingers. Uh, Garcetti said I was holding my breath. I was holding my breath when I took my mask. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, these guys just can't say it. We were wrong. They cannot say it. As I said, the sin of pride—they just can't do it. So they have to double down. So they have to double down. Randy Weingarten, or as I like to call her, Miss Evil, because she's the head of the biggest uh, teachers union, right? So I always feel like, oh, Miss Evil, can I go to the bathroom? Miss Evil, can I? You know, she says, oh yeah, we've got it. We've got a mask. It's cut eleven. Cut
2: There's not a person I know who wants to wear these things. But the reason we wear them is to protect ourselves and others. It's not about particularly in the midst of Omicron. CDC and others have basically said that this has helped protect people from huge dissemination of a very, very transmissible virus. So I would say to the governor of, of Virginia and to others, you know, this, you know, wait to the end of the Omicron spike. None of us want to wear the mask we want to actually though make sure that kids are in school and stay in school so
1: Thank you, Ms. Evil. In Loudoun County, right, this is talking about the Virginia governor, because now the governor has said it's up to the parents, and the schools are saying, no, no, we're going to keep... The schools are are like accusing children of trespassing if they show up without a mask. This is really uh, a a serious, serious issue, because it shows these teachers are, A, out of their minds, and, B, have got a completely blown-up idea, an inflated idea of who they are and what powers they should have. So now Virginia's governor, uh, uh, Youngkin, the attorney general, the superintendent of public. Instruction have asked a court to let them become plaintiffs in a lawsuit. They want to join a lawsuit brought by parents against the Loudoun County public schools, lending new legal firepower to a group of parents quest to unmask their children. And I should mention that this suit cites the Daily Wire four times. It cites our reporting to show how schools are taking punitive action against students who invoke their right to unmask under the oath. It's a big win for the Daily Wire. It shows it shows the work that we're doing actually is, is paying off. They don't want you to keep wearing masks because they, they're they right about masks. They want you to keep wearing them because they're wrong. It's because they're wrong. The lockdowns were a mistake. We now know the lockdowns were a mistake. The masks don't do anything. I'm still a fan of the vaccine. But even so, there's a difference between saying you should take the vaccine and saying you should be mandated, which I'm very strongly against. I'm very strongly against the mandates, but I am very much in favor of vaccines. But the lockdowns were a mistake. So here's Fauci talking about that. This cut seven. I believe we'll start to see much more being open about indoor
0: situations, be they theaters, be they restaurants, be they schools, be they workplaces. That doesn't mean that it's going to be exactly the way it was three or four years ago. But I think when it comes to travel, school, workplace, entertainment, we'll start to see a gradual return to normal Even though normal will not be exactly the way it was before all of this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because if it is, then we have to realize that it, it didn't have to happen. It didn't have to be this way. So this is why. This is one of the reasons why Rogan has to be silenced because, you know, maybe the guy he brought on, one of the doctors brought on was wrong. I I heard one of the interviews he gave. I thought the guy was a little bit of a, not this, not the one I was talking about before, a different doctor. I thought he was a little bit of a loon, but, you know, he wants to talk to different people. Why? Negative capability, keeping an open mind, living in a little bit of uncertainty about yourself, living in a little bit of humility, knowing that you know what you know. Is nothing you know nothing? Then you're as wise as Socrates. If you know, you know nothing. You know I've always given a lot of respect on the show and elsewhere to Bill Maher, and the reason I give respect to Bill Maher is because he does—he listens, even though he's a stone liberal, even though he's a stoned liberal, as he says himself. He says I'm a childless, uh, unmarried guy who sits around libertine who sits around smoking dope. That's what he said. That's how he describes himself. All of that he he has enough humility to listen to people who disagree with them and let them on his show. And I always get annoyed when people applaud for people they agree with on these shows because putting your hands together doesn't make a lie the truth. It just doesn't work that way. It may bring Tinkerbell back to life, but it doesn't do anything for the truth. Now, suddenly, Mar is attacking the left. Why? Because the left has gone insane. And here he is describing the problem. There's cut two.
0: It's not my fault that the party of FDR and JFK is turning into the party of LOL and WTF. <laughs> Members of Congress tweeting things like cancel rent, cancel mortgage, and no more policing or incarceration, declaring that capitalism is slavery, canceling Lincoln and Dr. Seuss, teaching children they're oppressors and math is racist, making Mr. Potato Head gender-neutral... And now an emoji for pregnant men.
1: (laughs) Real, I'm not making it up. (laughs) I mean, the guy has his eyes open. He sees what he sees, and he's joking about the fact that he's now a hero on Fox News. You know that now they're saying, uh, you know, Bill Maher for president on Fox News. Adam Carolla heard this. Our own Adam Carolla heard this, and he went after. He started. uh, I think it was a tweet uh, about the audience. I've got to be careful because Adam uh, Adam likes his salty language, let's say, and I don't want to read that on the air, but he, he says, watching the Bill Maher show, now you blankety blanks clap when Bill talks about getting back to normal, shut the F up and admit you were wrong. See, this is the thing that never happens. I, you know, they never say this. They never say, oh yeah, we're talking like conservatives because the conservatives were right. They were right all along. The people who said don't lock down were right. I've said it when they first locked down, you know, they said 15 days to slow the spread. I was talking to Jeremy, the God King on the phone. And I said, well, you know, we don't really know what this is yet. And maybe they're right. He said, no, once they do it, they will not open up again. And I told him, you were right. I was wrong. Not that hard. It's not that hard to say you were right. I was wrong when I was wrong and he was right. You know, it doesn't happen very often also. So it's, it's fine. But but still, still, this is what cancel culture is, because listen, and I'm going to talk about that next. This is what I'm going to talk about is about defining cancel culture and getting to it. But I just want to close with another thing that Mar said that gives credence to what Adam said This is cut three. California just passed
0: a law requiring large retailers to have a non-gendered toy section. A non-gendered toy section? Isn't Ken enough? We need a law for that? You have to inject yourselves into everything from where you can throw a frisbee to who can braid hair? This is why so many people, by
1: the way, were triggered by COVID policies. They were already sick of rules. See, that is conservatism. What they do with conservatives is they say you don't want any regulations, you don't want any any, you don't want you don't want any government. We know there has to be a government. We all read our, our Madison. We know that men aren't angels, and you need a government. All the conservatives are really saying is understand that taxes, welfare, regulations are all temptations to the powerful. When they say we need more, what they need mean is they need more, right? They need more money. They need more influence. They need more power. We should have a little bit of suspicion, just enough to make the news an attack on whoever is in power. As I've said a million times, I don't mind if they treat Donald Trump like they treated him, so as unfairly as they treated him, as long as they treat everybody like that. Climb down everybody's throat. I'd be happy to see it. Whereas if they think, if they criticize Joe Biden for getting chocolate chip ice cream instead of vanilla, they think that they are actually doing the same thing they did to Donald Trump when they accused him of being a Russian asset, okay? Okay. They're wrong. They've been wrong about everything. And that is really it really is what cancel culture is all about. And that's what I'm going to talk about next. So, you know, I push the ring video doorbell and you may wonder why. And it's because I can be bought. Ring has said they're sending me one of their new alarms and their ring video doorbell works so great. I'm really excited about it. Ring Alarm is an award-winning home security system with available professional monitoring. Best of all, you can easily install it yourself. I installed the Ring Video Doorbell. It was really simple to get it up, easy to use. I get all of the sensors for motion, doors and windows that will work on any house or apartment like yours. I get notified right on my phone whenever anything is detected. I partnered with Ring and so I'm excited about getting the Ring Alarm. You and your loved ones can rest easy knowing that Ring is helping to protect your home. And it's more than just security. You can add sensors that help protect your home from flood, freeze, and fire, too. You may not have known, but it's true. Ring has an award-winning alarm. Go to ring.com forward slash claven to get a great deal on a Ring Alarm home security kit today. That's ring.com forward slash claven. Now, no matter where you are, because you can just look on your phone, you can be across the country, or you can be at home. Anybody comes to your door, you just look at your phone, you can talk to them, you say, How do you spell Claven? And if they know, there are no easy if it's that guy, call the police. So today's culture segment is about cancel culture, one of the worst cultures we've ever developed in this country, but it's everywhere, and we should be talking about it. And I find our conversations about cancel culture to be incredibly murky. When they suspended Whoopi Goldberg, I tweeted out, Uh, How about you don't suspend her? You just give Gina Carano her job back and let Kevin Hart host the Oscars. And a couple of people, including Ben, I think, said to me, no, you know, there has to be one standard. If they're fired, she should be fired. And the problem with with that is that's in a lot of ways is giving cancel culture too much credit. It's saying there's something legitimate here, so let's just make the standards fair. I don't think there's anything legitimate about it, and I think we should actually d- define what we're talking about really, really clearly. We're not going to be able to come up with a hard and fast rule. I know people love hard and fast rules. We're not going to be able to do that because of negative capability, because we don't know what we don't know. But still, there's, we, we need to talk about this a lot more clearly. You can't define... Standard. I mean, Gina Carano said something that may have been overstated, uh, but it was perfectly within bounds. Whoopi Goldberg said something that was ignorant, but I didn't think it was anti Semitic. I didn't think she was being hateful. Uh, I have no reason, you know, maybe she said something about Israel at some point, but I have no reason to think she hates Jewish people. That's, you know, that's not what she was saying. She just was ignorant. She just didn't know what she was talking about. Joe Rogan had a guy on. But uh, well, why shouldn't a, you know? Why shouldn't a doctor get to express his opinion when mainstream doctors have been wrong, as I say, about almost everything? It seems like people can be criticized, they should be corrected, they can be argued about, they can be scolded, but why should they be fired? Why should we allow these mobs, these mobs, to gather together and intimidate? Let's face it, timid businesses to begin with to intimidate them into silencing free speech in a country that is founded on free speech. And I know I've said this before, but I have to emphasize it because I think a lot of people on the right don't get this. Our right to free speech comes from our creator. That is in our founding, that's our founding axiom, right? That's where the rights come from. They come from our creator. The first amendment is meant to keep the government from taking those rights away but no one is allowed to take those rights away no one is allowed to take your free speech rights away and when they do the government has to stop them because the government is there to ensure those rights those are in our documents that's part of our founding the government is there to ensure the rights given to us by god if you don't believe that you got to pretend to believe it if you want to live here because those are the fa- those are the, that's the deal that is america that is the definition basically of america now does that mean that no one should ever be punished for anything they say? I, I don't think that is what it means. There was an actress, you know, there was a, a funeral in New York. There have been two funerals for two police officers uh, who were killed. I, I, we're showing a picture of it now, but it, it's a sea, a, a, you know, a sea of blue, a sea of police officers coming out to, you know, mourn the, the murder of this one, I think was for Jason Rivera, but he, he's... Another policeman was also ambushed and killed. These murders that are taking place all over the place because of this Black Lives Matter defund the police horror. This this horrible idea that the people who protect us and they protect black people just the same as they protect white people. I know that black people, you know, there was a lot more crime in the black community. So a lot of the people they arrest are black, but a lot of the people they rescue also and save are black. They risk their lives to do it. They're out there all the time. They deserve nothing but our respect. They, They have to uh, be better than other people because they have so much power. But still, still, they deserve nothing but our respect in general when they're murdered. Uh, you know, it, it is a social tragedy. It's a social tragedy when a police officer is not just a tragedy for his family, but of course, for his family, most of all, not just for his fellow officers, though, for his fellow officers, of course, but for every single person. So there's actress, a totally obscure actress. Uh, I don't don't even I don't think I wrote down her name, Jacqueline something. Uh, She puts this out on one of the social media feeds.
0: We do not need to shut down most of lower Manhattan because one cop died for probably doing his job incorrectly. They kill people who are under 22 every single day for no good reason. And we don't shut down the city for them. So Like this is f- ridiculous. This is f- ridiculous. What if somebody is having a heart attack in this area? Nobody can get to them because it's all blocked off for one
2: f- cop.
1: You know, <laughs> so uh, the the stupidity of this. I mean, the the social alienation of it, the idea that uh, the death of a police officer, of course, anybody's death, young death can be tragic. But the death of a police officer is a tragedy for everybody. That's my point. And so, of course, of course, the streets can be shut down by these people mourning their own and also protesting, saying to people, look, look what you did. Look what you did when you let The burn down Portland, When, when CNN went on and said these riots are mostly peaceful, when you said defund the police, when AOC said defund the police, when I talk about defunding the police, I mean defund the police. Look what you did. This life is on your hands. This blood is on your hands. This is a social moment, a moment when people are going to pour out into the streets. Would I have fired this actress? She was fired from the acting troupe she was in. I think I might have fired her too. It's an inhuman thing to say. It's not a human thing to say. We are social beings. We are not ourselves alone we are all in this together. You know, we're also individuals. We are also uh, uh, complete beings in and on ourselves, but we're also in a society together. I think I might have fired her as well. What about this guy? He's the Sunni philosophy professor, Stephen Kirschner, talking about having having sex with children as young as one year old. I I don't have that part in here, but just play this part. Imagine that an adult male uh, wants to have sex with a, a 12 year old girl. Imagine that she's a willing participant,
0: a a very standard, very widely held view that there's something deeply wrong about this and it's wrong independent of it being criminalized. It's not obvious to me that is, in fact, wrong. I think this is a mistake. And I think that exploring why it's a mistake will tell us
1: not only things about adult child sex and statutory rape, but also about
3: fundamental principles of morality.
1: (laughs) Only a philosophy professor could be that stupid, by the way. Uh, You know, I could explain this to him, but they would... They would have to put me in jail after I explained it. My, expl- <laughs> my explanation would probably be a felony. But listen, this is going to be a movement, this, this movement to legitimize and normalize the rape of children. And that's what it is. It's a rape. It's a rape of ch- children because it's having sex with somebody without consent. And what, you know what they say? They say, well, all the stuff we do to children is without their consent. You know, when we make them stand for a family photo, that's for our pleasure, not theirs. So this is the same thing. It's just for our pleasure, fired. Absolutely fire. This guy is a teacher, uh, a professor. He's preaching evil. Look, th- I, I talked about this, I think, last week. This is what happened when you lose touch with God. You cannot do it. I'm sorry. Let's let's talk about this. Just the spiritual world, the idea that there's a spiritual uh, moral dimension to life when you lose touch with it. There are only two roads to go down. When you lose touch with God, you're going down the other one. That's where this guy's going. I would fire this guy. In a heartbeat, I'd cancel him in a heartbeat. And I wouldn't, I would protest if anybody else hired him as well. The things that he saying. And by the way, you know, Peter Singer is one of the most... Prominent uh, bioethicist who has a job at Princeton, or one of the jobs he has, as at Princeton, and he thinks, "Yeah, you can commit infanticide. Uh, sure, you can commit infanticide, but but you should be nice to dogs because dogs are, are not. I like animals. All these guys who all these guys who can't understand humanity love animals. I love animals, but only after I love people." I think he should be fired. I think the guy, personally, uh, you know, I think the guy's a sociopath. I think there's something wrong with him, and I think he should be fired, but he is in a position of responsibility. I don't know what's going to happen to this guy. But yes, there is such a thing as people who should be canceled, who should be stopped. The things that they're saying in the context that they're saying them, in the place that they're saying them, given their position, are destructive and wrong. You know, what about communists? What about communists, right? Right. Everybody, we we still hear about the blacklist from the people in Hollywood. Oh, the blacklist! We have to make another movie about the blacklist. We've never made a movie about the Gulags. We've never made a movie about the atrocities that Stalin committed. We've never made a movie about how awful the Soviet Union was. But we've got to make another one of the seventy-two movies about the blacklist. I have to tell you, the uh, just two days ago, I I was talking to my agent, my movie agent, a, a guy, an old old friend. I love him. He's. Not only a far lefty, he buys into everything on the left. I love the guy, but he just buys in there. And we argue about it. And, you know, we're, we're, we have friendly, friendly arguments about it. But he called me up and he said he loved When Christmas Comes. He loved my mystery novel. He said, you know, I've sent this to everybody. I haven't gotten a, even a nibble. <laughs> I said, well, dude, you know, I'm persona non grata in that town. No, it's not that. It's not that. It is that. And it's a, it's a blacklist. They're pulling the blacklist on now, but they're still complaining about the blacklist. But communism was an evil, violent murderous uh, philosophy. In the 50s, when some of this blacklisting was happening, Stalin, you know, was only died in the early 50s. So he was had already murdered tens of millions of people. Now, so should should there have been writers making movies telling people that communism was a good thing? Should there have been communist writers? Was it wrong to blacklist them? Well, look, It's a complicated question. It's a complicated question because a lot of these people were communists when they were young. They didn't know that the Soviet Union was going to turn into this. You understand that young people are are ignorant. Uh, Youth and ignorance are synonyms. They thought it was an ideal thing. It sounds great. Just like today when they're cheering for Bernie. You know, it sounds great. Everybody's going to be equal. It's terrific. You know, so... It, it, it was wrong to, if a guy said, hey, I was a communist, but I'm not. But I don't know, you know, like the Spartacus, a great movie was written by a roaring communist. He was a Stalinist, really. Uh, and, he, that, you know, and he was and he wrote Spartacus, a terrific movie. And he had to write it, I think, under a pseudonym or that was when the blacklist was broken. I can't remember. But anyway, I'm just saying it's a very complicated question because it was an evil philosophy. It still is. It still is. You know, guys like Bernie Sanders, what are you going to do? You know, you cannot explain to people how evil it is. So these questions are complicated, complicated. But the problem we're having is this. None of this is really about the damage that people do to society. None of it is about the stuff that I was talking about with that college professor saying "It's, it's great. You know, go ahead and rape a one year old. That's an evil thing that needs to be shut down. It needs to be shut down and enough people know it. But that's not what this is. Right. This is cancel culture as we know it today is a function of the left. It is a function of the fact that they were wrong, that socialism turned out to be destructive, that communism turned out to be murderous and they cannot accept it. And they have taken over our culture and they are preaching things that they know to be wrong. And so they have to defend them in the only way they can, which is by accusing everyone who disagrees with them of being hateful, of being racist. You know, these are the people they they accuse us. Of the things that they do, they accuse us of being racist, and then tell us how bad whiteness is, right? Or they identify blacks with criminals like uh, like George Floyd. You know, they don't they don't say like uh, you know Italians. You should really like Al Capone. You know, (laughs) they make statues of George Floyd as a black people. Yeah, I love I love those drug dealers who do home invasions. Those are our favorite people. You know, they call us sexist, but they've effectively eliminated the category of woman womanhood. They call us authoritarian. That's a laugh and don't go outside without a mask. You know, they they do all this stuff. They They turn, they project their wickedness on us, but, but so they call it cancel culture. When we say, you know, maybe a communist shouldn't be teaching a school. Maybe a child molester shouldn't be teaching a school. Maybe a person who believes in infanticide shouldn't be teaching in school. They say, well, that's cancel culture. No, no, it's not cancel culture. Is not reasonable people agreeing that there are limits to free speech when harm is being done by speech or when even when evil is being preached by speech. That's not what it is. That is not what it is. It is an outgrowth of leftism. It derives from the fact that leftism is wrong, so they have defined everyone who disagrees with them as hateful. Because socialism destroys economies, because central power chokes off creativity, because government giveaways have harmed minority populations by fostering dependence and fatherlessness— but they've enriched and empowered corrupt politicians like Nancy Pelosi. So nobody wants to get rid of the Great Society. So when you attack the Great Society, you're a racist. Everything they do, it's hatefulness. Everything you oppose, when you oppose leftism, it's hatefulness. It's racism. If I say the problem in black neighborhoods isn't police, it's the crime, racism. If I say, hey, you got a problem being male, I understand that's painful, but that doesn't make you fem- female, I'm transphobic. I had Charles Murray on the show, you know, uh, Charles Murray, the, the writer uh, and scholar. Uh, he believes that blacks gen- genetically, genetically will not be able will have l- more people at a lower part of the IQ bell curve than other races. Right. I don't ha- I don't happen to agree with him. I think that that's a suspect idea, but I can tell by reading his books that he's not being hateful. This is what he how he interprets the science. I had him on the show. He has been physically attacked simply for seeking the truth that he and, and speaking the truth that he believes. If I say uh, sex was clearly created by God as a means of bringing men and women together, and therefore uh, it's a sin for homosexuals uh, to have sex, I, you know I don't believe that, but I would have somebody on to argue that case. I have had people on to argue that case. Now they're hateful because the left wants homosexuality to be uh, allowed. You know, these are like 6%. These people, these woke people, the people that Bill Maher was attacking, they're 6% of the left. I mean, even of the left. They are not the left. They have simply become such competent bullies that everyone's afraid of them. So what cancel culture is, is it's them bullying people. That's all it is. You know, I And mean, we have to be very specific about this. Could the right indulge in cancel culture? Sure it could. Sure it could. If, if you said, you know, I'm against the war on terror and they fired you for not being patriotic enough, that would be cancel culture. You have a right to be against the war of t- Uh, the war on terror. But they don't do it. They don't have the power now. They don't have the cultural power now. And the left does. So here's a rule. You can't censor someone for speaking the truth. You can't censor someone for searching for the truth. It's not hate just because you happen to disagree. That's the cancel culture we're arguing about. They're wrong about so much. The rule should be simply this. If there's bullying, if there's a mob, if there's, you know, attacks by a small number of people organizing, you don't do it. You just, just... Shut them down. We are not going to do it. Take the hit. I don't care what they do. I don't care how many times they come after you. Businesses should have the courage and should get together and get together and have the courage to do it. True hatred, genuine evil can be censored, but not your opinions, not searching for the truth. Kill the Jews. You're canceled. But I think there are too many Jews in Hollywood. And let me explain to you why I say that that is not cancel cancelable. Again, if you're not smart enough to know that the people on television are idiots, you're not smart enough to know on a TV, some things need canceling. But whether on the left or right, we should always, always, always err on the side of freedom. The left has stopped doing that. They've stopped believing in it. And cancel culture is what they've created. So this show comes out on Friday evening. uh, And so if you're listening to it on Friday evening, it's probably because you don't have a date. And if you don't have a date, it's probably because you're not using rockauto.com. Now, rockauto.com is not a matchmaker. They're actually the best way to get parts for your car. But when you say rockauto.com like that, you say it with that kind of masculine voice, women just come fly. They just will appear. You'll see. It's like magic. And of course, they not only know that you can say rockauto.com, they know you know the best place to get parts for your car. Rockauto.com has been doing this for 20 years. You can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers right on your computer. You don't have to drive your car to some place where they, you know, hold you up and look at their computer your car's not working. So that just shows, that's why girls don't like you, because you don't know to go to rockauto.com and get your car parts right off your computer without going to anybody, without asking anybody. They have a great selection. They have great prices. The prices are always the same, whether you're a do-it-yourself or a professional. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Claven in their how did you hear about us box, so they know we sent you, and you say, well, well rockauto.com, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V. A-N. Next Thursday, February 10th, is the world premiere of Shut In, Daily Wire's first original film at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central over Daily Wire. YouTube, The suspenseful thriller follows a young mother trapped in a pantry by her violent ex and his meth addict friend, and she must escape to save her children before it's too late. God King Jeremy Boring had this to say, Shut In is a fiercely independent, powerful movie about motherhood and redemption. It's riveting, it's challenging, it's highly entertaining. We cannot wait to release it next week. Check out the trailer. You
2: had your, way. Now you must pay.
0: your daughter, she's very pretty.
1: don't forget shut-in is premiering next thursday february 10th at 9 p.m eastern 8 p.m central over at daily wire youtube we entered the entertainment space in order to send hollywood a message you no longer have a monopoly on the film industry the release of shut-in is just the next step improving it so do you want to some of these beautiful andrew clavin ben shapiro matt walsh and michael knowles valentines don't answer that question but if you do you can get a dozen of these valentines featuring all the Daily Wire hosts for 9.99 just 9.99 when you give this to the person that you are trying to woo you'll have a lot of time to be looking for someone else to try and woo uh but 9.99 for a dozen Daily Wire valentines So when I first started working at The Daily Wire, my son, Spencer Clavin, no relation, uh, was still at Oxford at the time. And he called me up and he said, a professor has given me a book telling me it would change my life. Uh, It was Owen Barfield's Poetic Diction. So I read it and it changed my life. And I said to Michael Knowles, uh, you should read this book, Poetic Diction by Owen Barfield. It will change your life. And he was reading it and he went to a discussion panel where a uh, famous TV writer named Dean Batali was there and Batali looked up and saw him holding this book and said, oh, that book will change your life. I just, as I was coming in here, I bumped into Knowles in the uh, commissary and Knowles said, was reading uh, another book by uh, Barfield that I had recommended to him and said it was just fantastic. The thing about Barfield is he can be hard to read. And so I wanted to find somebody who really understood him, understood the depth of what he said. And I found uh, a psychotherapist in England named Dr. Mark Vernon. Uh, He's the author of several books, including his most recent one is Dante's Divine Comedy, A Guide for the Spiritual Journey. Knowles is going to go nuts over that. He's going to want to read that. I'm now currently reading uh, Dr. Vernon's uh, Secret History of Christianity, which is absolutely wonderful. Uh, Barfield makes us wise, and I wanted to uh, bring Dr. Vernon on to uh, share him with you. Uh, Mark, so, so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on.
3: Well, thank you. I mean, Barfield changed my life too, so I'm really delighted to talk about it.
1: It's it's an it's an amazing thing, and you I've heard you mention that he's not. You know, he he was one of the Inklings. He's not a very good writer. Uh, he's very hard to understand, and uh, and I think that's it's kind of a bar. But at least tell people uh, some something of what of who Owen Barfield was.
3: So he was a direct contemporary of C.S. Lewis, and they met in the early days at Oxford, and so kind of half a generation behind J.R. Tolkien. But both Lewis and Tolkien confessed that when they encountered Barfield's ideas, they had to rethink everything they thought they knew. Tolkien, it happened relatively speedily, actually, and it partly comes through in Tolkien's interest in languages and how languages convey a way of experiencing the world. With Lewis at the time, he was an atheist and went through his whole conversion experience. But I think, you know, Barfield was actually key in that sort of preparing the ground, if not precipitating the actual moment, which is the story that's normally told.
1: Ah, so it's, it's kind of true that when you're reading, say, the Narnia books, or you're reading The Lord of the Rings, you're getting a little bit of Barfield in there. Is that fair to say?
3: Completely. I mean, actually, the more you know about the Barfield, the more you realise Lewis was weaving it through. And it all hinges on this, what he called participation, what Barfield called participation and how people can be in exactly the same place, but be experiencing what's happening very differently. And this is his idea of consciousness, just meaning our experience, our perception, what we detect, what we don't detect, and how that changes dramatically over time.
1: Well, let's let's talk about that, because in your book, uh, The Secret History of Christianity, you, you look at the Bible in a very Barfieldian way as almost the story of the development of the consciousness of a people in relationship to God. So, can you define participation to begin with, uh, so we understand what we're talking about,
3: what we're trying to get back to, in a way? Yeah, he, he thought that um, participation is the felt sense of consciousness that you have, actually of, of everything, but of the divine in particular, which is what, of course, makes a difference when it comes to Christianity. Um, I mean, for me, the way I first experienced it, this actually was in relation to philosophy. I did a philosophy PhD on Plato, and although I got the PhD, I just felt I hadn't quite got to grips with what Plato was really conveying. And then I read Barfield and Barfield said, the most important thing when you read Plato is to unlearn everything you think you know about Plato. And then you're open to actually, at least in part, re-enter the consciousness that Plato was trying to convey. I mean, just let me put it, try and put it simply. So take a word like theory. Nowadays for us, theory means a proposition that you can put to the test. Probably by empirical means. Whereas for Plato, when he uses the Greek theoria, he means, actually, he almost means a pilgrimage you undergo that shakes your horizons. But it's certainly a kind of contemplation, something you take in from the world, rather than, as it were, come up within your head to see how it connects with the world. And it's that shift, the kind of sense that we have so strongly now from the inside out, that he argued. Was very different in the ancient world where it came much more from the outside in and you get this balance of the two particularly he thought in the person of jesus which is traditionally conveyed in the doctrine that jesus was both fully human and fully divine as it were the insides of the whole world from the outside was known completely from the inside by Jesus, the human being. Hmm.
1: So, I mean, one of the things that Barfield talks about when he talks about language is that it's it's kind of I think the word I heard you use was a, a fossil. It's a fossil of the development of consciousness, um, and it, one of the, just a, a passage that completely uh, changed my percep my perceptions and my perspective in poetic diction was when he talked about the word that means both spirit and breath. And you talk about this too in, in your book, The Secret History of Christianity. Can you explain that? Because it, again, Barfield was just not a very good explainer of his own <laughs> brilliant ideas. Uh, can you make that clear to people what that what that was exactly?
3: Yeah. So he, he observed that the very well-known phrase in John's gospel, that the spirit moves wherever it wills, such as the nature of, um, well, the spirit, um, it's normally switched to into a metaphor for wind like the wind so moves the spirit but in the Greek the word is the same pneuma and this one word back then meant wind breath and spirit of God whereas for us now we have to decide is it going to be wind is it going to be breath or is it going to be spirit and Barfield realized that when words change like that they become these fossils of consciousness and so help us to go back to the experience, in this case, of the writer of John's gospel. Um, I mean, you, you get it, because it's not just an intellectual thing, although like Lewis and Tolkien, um, Barfield was a great studier of words, um, which is quite nice actually, because there's an evidence base for this. It's not just a kind of mystical experience, um, but you can experience it too. You know, So for example, Plato, when he talked about breathing, he said that this pneuma, comes into us from the spirit around us, is converted, as it were, into our breath as it enters us and then becomes our life, our inner spirit, um, you know, when it it invigorates us. So it's the same thing, Numa, but experienced, you might say, in different modes, but all part of the one whole. So this is a kind of integrated participation with the world around us, rather than the rather fragmented participation, which we tend to devolve to now.
1: Right, because when the word becomes, as you say, a metaphor, when it becomes either uh, spirit or breath or wind, it is is actually a fossil of our separation from that spiritual uh, feeling of the world. Uh, This is something that seems, Barfield felt that this happens kind of again and again, right?
3: It's, It's kind of cyclical. Yeah, he felt that there's a there's a, pr- a process of withdrawal, as he put it, um, where human beings at various times, you know, maybe about every 500 years or so in a kind of cultural cycle, um, become a bit disconnected, bit disconnected from the world as they felt they'd experienced it. And whilst this leads to periods of alienation, and he thought we we're right in the middle of one of those periods of alienation now, um, it nonetheless almost forces or or perhaps better sort of precipitates a development of inner life. And you might say that psychotherapy, you know, of which I'm part, um, is part of that development of inner life. But that in itself, in time, fosters a renewed connection with the world around and about. And so again, he looked at the gospels and saw Jesus making lots of otherwise rather strange comments about the kingdom of God is within you, or it's not one cup, what goes into a man, but what comes out of a man that matters. Um And he realized that Jesus was right at the sort of the, the most fruitful point of a process of alienation becoming renewed participation, which he embodied in his life. And then people looked on and realized what was going on for themselves. So, you know, I'm, I want to talk to you about psychotherapy in a minute. I want
1: to talk to you about the actual uses of this, because I think it's it, it, one of the things we've talked about here uh, with my friend Jeremy, who runs, runs the joint, uh, we've talked about the fact that Christianity has not participated in the treatment of mental illness. And you have a, a very interesting spiritual take on this that I want to talk to you about in a minute. But before we, we get to that, this alienation, this separation from the spiritual experience of life, it, it, we lose something in that alienation, but we also make an advance in it, don't we? I mean, science in some ways is, is a result of that.
3: Yeah, science, definitely a result, Um, you know, we feel we're on the kind of pivot, is it going to spiral into a complete machine view of the world, you know, the machine consciousness is sort of its own, the desire to give yourself over to the machine, rather than to develop your own, you know, human instincts is very powerful right now. Um, But nonetheless, you know, Barfield was a theist, he was a Christian of sorts, not quite like Lewis and not quite like Tolkien, but he was, he was, he was baptized in Anglican, and so he always felt that um, the divine was there before us, and so would bring forth a return, um, and you know, a bit like um, many religions and many accounts of people's religious lives will have periods in the wilderness, going into the desert, feeling lost, becoming undone, there's something for we humans in our consciousness that needs that undoing not to completely collapse, but so that we can become more porous, you might say, to wider um, spirits, vitalities, and of course, God around us.
1: One of the things that uh, Barfield says in Poetic Diction is, when he's talking about Poetic Diction, which is a a phrase that, I I don't think Wordsworth invented it, but he used it, um, he says that Poetry, art, I suppose, in general, is a way of reuniting us, of giving us that uh, a moment of understanding. I think the parables are do that as well. But I also think uh, that uh, psychotherapy is a place where people come to find the meaning of their lives. Now, am I right in s- saying that you are a Jungian, or is that just part of your outlook?
3: It'd be part, yeah. yeah. I mean, like many psychotherapists, I'm kind of broadly influenced but basically take inner life seriously, feel it's not just, um, you know, neurotransmitters rushing around your brain, but it actually has meaning in itself too.
1: So are you a practicing psychotherapist? Do people come to you and uh, for treatment? Yeah, I have a private practice uh, based mostly in London. So now, how, do, how does this inform your practice? I'm, I'm asking this for a very specific reason. I mean, I, I really seriously feel that uh, Christianity has ceased to have a, a create, creative input into the way we treat Uh, people who are troubled, and I don't know what it's like in England, but here uh, the dealing of drugs has become, gone to an absurd level. I mean, people will drug you if you come in and you're depressed because your wife left you. They'll tell you you have a chemical imbalance, and they'll give you a drug, and you think like, well, maybe he's depressed because his wife left him, and maybe you should talk to him uh, first, and it hasn't lessened depression. So I'm really interested in how this, in the things we're talking about, and and just ideas of spirituality, how do they affect your treatment of individuals who come to you with troubles?
3: It is basically about taking inner life seriously, that things like dreams might have something to say, and that rather than an approach being dominated by, let's sort of fix you and return you to some sort of normalcy, this experience you're having, in substantial part, has got some meaning of its own. And if you can go through that meaning and work it out, which may take some time, and will include some suffering, you know, try to manage that suffering, so it needn't be excessive. And that's where psychotherapy can liaise with other forms of psychiatry, say, but nonetheless, to hold out for some truth in this suffering, that on the other side of it can transform things broadly by opening someone up in a way that was literally inconceivable before. Um, you know, it's, it, it is a remaking of the old spiritual sense that somehow death and suffering are part of the way to more life, mm. you know, ultimately at the end of life. But even in the little moments of life as well, if we can attend to those, that sense when we're on the edge of something and rather than pulling back out of fear or in the need for security, but step forward, you know, a conversion and epiphany can occur. Hmm. Now, so if somebody wa- walks in
1: uh, and they have problems and you can detect or or they even tell you that maybe their parents were abusive or anything like that, are you going to talk about their personal history as well? Is that part of that kind of treatment?
3: Yeah, no, the personal history really matters. Um, I think of it's sometimes a bit like, um, you know, your internet connection, you can have the fastest cable going down your street, but if the last 10 meters or so is a bit you know, kind of damaged, you'll never get the benefit of the full rush. Um, So, you know, doing the personal work is absolutely fundamental. And, you know, it is often the case that people try to do the spiritual work without doing the personal work. And then they constantly, you know, ricochet between the two and may get frustrated with one or the other, feel they never quite connect to the divine. Um, so it, it's very much the both and. Yes, I, you know, I've noticed that. I mean, I've noticed that a
1: lot of people uh, think that they're having religious problems when they're having psychological problems and sometimes vice versa. Now, does someone who come, comes to you, do they have to have spiritual beliefs? I mean, if somebody comes to you and says, look, I'm a, an atheist, I think I'm just a bag of uh, a meat bag of chemicals. Uh, is that does that present a challenge to you or is there some way to reach them as well?
3: Well, it's a bit self-selecting because someone who really thought that about themselves, well, actually, they'd probably be in a psychiatric hospital, but nonetheless, <laughs> they would go to the psychiatrist first. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, you know, so people do come because maybe they've tried other things, um, various behavioural therapies, and, you know, they might have helped them in, the, in some measure, but they want more, or they want to go deeper, not just, as it were, look for something to help them manage their lives. Um, but, you know, in psychotherapy, you always listen out for what's going on in the person rather than try and impose And the reason for that is quite simply that imposing things won't change someone. They have to discover it for themselves welling up within. But nonetheless, you know, I listen out increasingly carefully for when I think something of the spirit, say, as well as their own soul, their own inner life might be active and help someone to develop that sense for themselves. Mm, it, so it's a, it's a listening process, but you know, actively listening to try and draw out when something feels like it's precipitating.
1: One of the complaints you get about the old form of psychoanalysis, which is not that popular anymore, but still exists, is it goes on forever and people don't really uh, change. Do you see dramatic change in people when they engage with life this way?
3: Yeah, I mean, it can take time. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to reckon that... Um, serious personal change takes about three years there's something about that kind of periodicity that where you know someone might have a very dramatic experience but it will then take about three years to integrate that experience so um someone else might just change slowly now you know that's just a ballpark it's something of you know it's it's more than three weeks probably more than three months put it like that um but yeah no i'm but i do think that um well, you know, Freud himself um, recognized that there's a problem with what he calls the indeterminacy of psychotherapy. Um, I think it's in part because actually, like much psychology, it's rather suspended the ontological question as to what our inner life, what our souls are grounded in. Mm. And I think that things become much clearer when we recognize they are they're grounded, not just in what's going on inside our own skulls, but in a wider experience of consciousness. Now, some people will use divine language to talk about that. Others might use more pantheistic language and so on. Um, in a way, the words in terms of people's change are, are secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, what is important is to try and connect people with a wider sense of life. And you know, generally speaking, um, you're always following someone's particular path, but generally speaking, realizing that you're not trapped inside your own skull, inside your own body, But that, you know, much as our fingers come from a whole process um, which all human beings share, so too our inner lives, whilst our own come from a whole process that all human beings and in fact, the whole of creation, of course, shares. You know, that is the beginnings of real transformation, not just being able to get on with your life. We're talking to Dr. Mark Vernon. I'm reading his
1: book, uh, The Secret History of Christianity. He also more recently has a book, Dante's Divine Comedy, A Guide for the Spiritual Journey. Uh, Mark, I'm going to tell my friend Michael Knowles, who also has a podcast here about this book. I'm sure he'll want to talk to you as well. It is uh, really great talking to you. It's just fascinating. I hope you'll come back and continue the conversation.
3: Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, it changed my view, really enlivened Christianity for me, particularly. I've got a whole backstory with that myself. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a lot that could be said. And, and, and you know, it's, it's a good moment for it because Christianity often is struggling. And I think Barfield, like C.S. Lewis has for so many people, it's got something really crucial to say.
1: Absolutely. I, I completely agree. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. It's that time. Bring your gather your problems around you kiss them on the head bid them goodbye it's time for the mailbag
0: we're all haunted by the specter of this guy who's listening to andrew claven
1: that was really about joe rogan but anyway uh all right from anonymous uh hey andrew i hope this gets to you i'm hoping to get your wisdom on transitioning into adulthood i turned 25 i'm single i don't have kids i've always been obsessive about my childhood frequently grieve over things that i lost years ago i'm now starting to understand that there's no going back and i have to look forward and truly step into my adulthood it's painful and confusing do you have any advice on intentionally and purposely moving from childhood into adulthood i'm a Christian and your views on the moral order have already helped me tremendously. Um, that is a really interesting question. How do, you know what what attitude do you take transitioning into adulthood when you miss your childhood? You know, the only uh, real compliment my father ever paid me was he once said to me that uh, I have the knack of uh, being childlike without being childish. And uh, I, I think that that is a lovely compliment, actually. And um, and I, I hope that's true. What's the secret to that? Well, first of all, you have to understand that the things that you miss in childhood are not behind you, they're up ahead of you. And what I mean by that is when, when Jesus says you have to become as a little child, he doesn't mean you should become ignorant and stupid. He doesn't mean you should cry. He doesn't mean you should, you know, wet your pants or anything like that. What he means is you have to develop the wisdom to become childlike. Again, there's that meme, you know, the bell curve meme where the idiot is on one side and the wise man is on the other side and they're both saying the same thing. That's the thing that you're looking for. How do you get there? Well, there are a couple of ways. One thing is get married, have children. Children are great because you can play with them. They bring back your childhood. Uh, you can be a child again with them, and it is a wonderful experience. Uh, you can go to toy stores. It's terrific. But also, you know, I always like to quote, I use this in one of my novels, a, a, a phrase I found on a statue in a Marian uh, um, altar in New Haven when my son was going to Yale. Uh, it, said, it said, do right, fear nothing. And if, if you do that, the thing that makes you old The thing that makes you old is betraying who you are. Moving, the reason you love childhood, the reason we miss childhood, the reason we feel nostalgic, even people who have bad childhoods frequently feel nostalgic for childhood, is because when you're the closer you are to being born, the closer you are to your true self. And that true self gets terribly battered by life, Uh, it gets terribly battered simply by Eros, uh, by the sex drive. Uh, it gets battered by all the things that you experience, by ill health and, and growing older. And you're trying to get back to that person. And the way back to that person lies ahead. And every time you betray that person that you are, uh, you, you become older. But every time you stand up for that person and don't sell out um, and don't lie and don't become immoral, um, you you remain a lot younger. It'll keep you fresh and it'll keep you young. And I'm not talking about never compromising. I'm not talking about being squeaky clean. I'm not talking about being a moral virgin all your life. But there will come times in your life, one or two, maybe more, when people come to you and they say, do the wrong thing or you will pay the price pay the price because the price of doing the wrong thing is getting old. The price of sticking to your morals, the price of sticking to your integrity, the price of being yourself, the result of being yourself is staying young. That's how people stay young. That's why they say the good die young. As somebody once said, it's not that the good die young, it's that the good die young. And that's, that's why, because if you stick to yourself, you will come back to yourself as you were, you will find more of the self you left behind. And in growing older, you will become a child like a child again. Uh, From Abby, she says, you inspired me to become a stay at home mother, something and homemaker, something I never repeat, never thought I would do. It's been almost one year since I have been home with my now 2.5 year old daughter and one year old son. It's been the hardest I've ever worked and I have never felt more peace and fulfilled. Thank you so much for the push I needed to leave my corporate accounting job for a real life. It took a while to learn and I'm still learning daily. Your encouragement and soliloquies about the value of women in the home are life changing for the better. I loved when Chris, Christmas comes the great good thing and a variety of your novels pre-order the truth and beauty can't wait. Keep up the great work. No question there, but I'd love that. I'm so happy to hear that. And so I read it to you Uh, from Dennis. I drive Uber part time in a college town. So it's very left wing. When I drive, I will often listen to podcasts at your show and other uh, daily wire host shows. I agree with your view of the world. And that you hold in the realm of race, and I know to my soul that I'm not racist, but sometimes I fear being thought of as racist by leftists who hear the DW host talking about race uh, when riding in my car. Do you think I need to just get over my fears and say, screw it, facts don't care about their feelings? Should I just be respectful to what customers in my car may think and simply not listen to controversial shows? I hate that our PC anti-racist culture has permeated our collective psyche this deeply and that this is even an issue. I have to tell you, I would not listen to controversy. If I were driving an Uber, and I have been a cab driver, if I were driving a car, I would my care would be my customer. If the customer, if I thought there was a possibility that the customer didn't want to hear Andrew Claven or Ben Shapiro or Michael Knowles, I would not play that. Not because I was afraid of being thought anything, but because the customer, the customer's experience is what you're being paid for. You are being paid to give the customer a good experience. There's no reason why they should have to listen to what you're listening to. When I get in a car and they're playing rap music, I ask them to turn it off. I'm the one paying for the ride, so I want them to turn off the rap music, you know sometimes that makes them annoyed. It doesn't matter. That's, I feel that if I'm paying for the experience, it should be my experience. So yes, turn, turn us off when somebody gets into your Uber, uh, but not because you're afraid of what they think, but simply because they're the customer and you are being paid to give them a good experience. Uh, from Matt, I recently watched Midnight Mass as a Netflix horror story. It deeply affected me. I'm really burning to know, have you seen Midnight Mass? And if so, how do you feel about what it has to say about Christianity? I watched the first episode and decided not to watch the rest for a very specific reason. And the specific reason is this, uh, partly because of my uh, experience of Barfield, but partly because of writing The Truth and Beauty, the mass has become the center of my worship experience in church. I'm there essentially for the mass. And it has become uh, an exercise, not just in going through the ritual, it has become like meditation, yoga, the things that people do to connect, uh, as Dr. Mark Vernon was talking about, to connect with the spiritual in life. And it has become a very, very important part of my life. And I didn't want Hollywood screenwriters putting horrific images in my head about the mass. I could see that they were coming. So I just turned it off. Uh, that doesn't make it bad. That doesn't mean it's evil to watch. It simply means for my life, it was, it is much more important for me to experience the mass than for me to experience midnight mass, a horror movie. Um, sometimes art, I think most of the time, good art uh, enhances your life, deepens your life. But there is absolutely no reason to take something into your life that is going to make your life worse. Uh, I was arguing with a Christian friend about uh, watching Game of Thrones. And he said, I can't watch it because I'm addicted to porn. And if I watch it, I'll get addicted. I said, you should definitely not watch it. I didn't want those images in my head. From Jacob, I know you have been baptized as a Christian, but according to Jewish law, regardless of religious affiliation, you're still Jewish if you were born a Jew. Knowing that, do you still take any personal pride in your ethnic Jewish heritage? I do take personal pride in my ethnic Jewish heritage, but not because of that. No one has the right to define my religion. Uh, That's uh, just not something I uh, cede to anyone else. So Jewish law means nothing to me. uh, And whether they decide I'm a Jew or not doesn't matter. Whether people who hate me hate me for being a Jew or not, doesn't matter to me. I am a Christian. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, However, you know, ethnic pride to me is, is unreasonable, but it's natural. You know, there's no reason for me to be proud of Sandy Koufax. I can't throw a a, a great fastball. You know, there's no reason for me to be proud of Jewish athletes or Jewish doctors or Jewish scholars or great Jewish writers. Uh, I didn't do what they do but it's natural. It's something that happens to you anyway. Uh, and so I enjoy it and I don't think much about it. Uh, but I, but I do feel it and it, but I don't feel it, uh, because of this silly notion that you can't change your religion. I do not think you can't change your race. I'm of the Jewish race. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg, notwithstanding, uh, I'm an Ashkenazi of the Ashkenazi Jewish race, but, but, Jews, if you go to Israel, there are Chinese Jews, there are African Jews, there are all kinds of Jews. In Israel, Judaism is not a race. It is a belief. And when we're talking about that Judaism, that uh, Judaism that is the belief that you hold... um, I'm a Christian and 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 I stick with that no matter what anybody else says. I'll do one more quick one if I can. Yeah, I can. Uh, Jesse says uh, he has a long letter, but he says, uh, is the Daily Wire planning to make another kingdom into a live action movie trilogy? Hashtag came for Ben, stayed for the bald one. Um, you know, uh, that would be lovely, but it's that's an expensive movie. That's probably a $100 million movie, and I, we simply don't have that money to deal with. If we do, maybe they will. I don't know. All right. I will end there. The Clavenless week is upon you. You can tell. If you look outside, you'll see the darkness moving in. It'll start to creep through the windows, pool at your feet, rise up to your neck, then over your neck and swallow you completely. Uh, you'll hear wailing. You'll hear gnashing of teeth. Will you survive to next Friday? <laughs> I don't know. That, don't be ridiculous. But for those few of you who do, I will be here. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thank you for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Lisa Bacon, executive producer Jeremy Boring, our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Wadoski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. Our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. And our production assistant is Jacob Falash. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. John Bickley here, Daily Wire
3: Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, violence against police is on the rise, states and the federal government square off over the National
0: Guard vaccine mandate, and the NFL is hit with a racially charged lawsuit. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent?